Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. It was a night of firsts for Garrett Cole, and not the good kind either. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, April 20th. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Today on the show, we will get to that Garrett Cole fella. Fire up the worryometer. A bunch of young fun pitchers were not so young and fun well i guess they were still young but they weren't as fun on tuesday so we'll we'll break those uh we'll break those guys down and they were less young than they were in their previous starts that is a factual statement thank you chris as are we all yes thank you for for backing me up there uh some young hitters i keep getting questions about you know rookies and joe adele and Julio Rodriguez, we'll talk about those. And of course, we will recap Tuesday's action, but let's jump right in. You gotta be raping me! Yeah, that was my exact reaction when I was watching Garrett Cole on Tuesday because it was a night of first, as I mentioned. The shortest outing of his career, he could not escape the second inning at the Detroit Tigers. He recorded five outs, and he walked in a run for the first time in his career as well. The final line, one and two-thirds, one hit, two runs, five walks, three strikeouts. He did have 10 swinging strikes on 68 pitches. And through his first three starts, the SP1 across the board, ADP, rankings, he has a 6.35 ERA, a 1.41 whip. Chris, you are up first. What is the problem with Garrett Cole right now? Uh, Billy Crystal and Pitchcom, and I'm sure there was something today. Yeah, you know, those were the excuses that he had in his first two starts. I, I think there's nothing wrong, is my sense. Like, I think he pitched pretty well in his first two starts, and then he had an uncharacteristically wild start, and that happens. But I don't think, like, this particular version of a bad start I just, I find it hard to be worried about Garrett Cole walking five guys in one outing when, like, that's not something that happens to him, you know? Like, I, I don't see any reason to think this is going to linger. That That's my sense, anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, Garrett Cole, you mentioned some of the things, the pitch com. He's, he's kind of whiny, and I don't like that. He was complaining about, if you watch any Yankee games, when they get two strikes on the opposing batter in Yankee Stadium, they play, like, the, I don't know what that is, Death Star sound, Chris? <laughs> I don't know. They, thing? they play yeah. some kind of like loud siren thing. And he was complaining yeah. about that, saying that it, it distracts him. It's like, dude, come on, Garrett Cole. Anyway, um, Adam Azer, fun <laughs> fact. Every time Garrett Cole stinks, Adam Azer just texts me fraud. That's it. Uh, that, that, that is the yeah, entire well, text. I, well, I was about to say your take about him being whiny sounded very Adam Azer-like. That, <laughs> he is. that is the sort of rant Adam would have gone on. <laughs> He's very whiny. Um, yeah. Anyway, in this start, what I noticed, he struck out the side in the first, so he, he looked good there. He had to wait a long time in the second inning. It was just, I think, the Detroit Tigers pitcher threw something like 40 or 50 pitches, and it was just incredibly long. Maybe that affected him. Uh, Scott, the worryometer, which we will get to a little bit later on as well, what is your level for Garrett Cole right now? 10, you're absolutely freaking out. One, not concerned at all. I'll go... You kind of want to go... Z- you kind of always want to go 0, 5, or 10. That's just where... <laughs> that's just like a human way to respond to the worryometer. But I'm going to go... Uh, like. Two, I guess. I I tend to agree with Chris. I mean, velocity looks good. Spin rates look good. He's getting swinging strikes. You know, the temperature wasn't great in Detroit. It was low forties. Temperatures were low in in a lot of parts of the country, and it had an impact on several pitching performances. I think it may have had an impact on Coles. If not, I mean, obviously, there's the 
the short spring, very easy to blame, but rightfully. I mean, spring is the length that is for starting pitchers primarily, and it was only half as long as usual this year. So I, I think that's an excuse that could apply to just anybody, not to mention the variance of baseball and that in, literally anything can happen to anyone over a sample of, what is this, his third start? Yep. Uh, so a sample of three starts. And, you know, broadening that out, like what ace has lived up to expectations so far? There, there have been some, but only like half of them. Like only half of the top 20 have actually been good so far, I would say. So I, I don't really think there's a reason. I don't see anything specific with, with Cole that would cause me to worry. Yeah, honestly, I don't see anything either. The velocity looks fine. Spin rates look fine, as you mentioned. The one thing, he gave up three home runs in his first two starts, and the command has just looked shaky overall. Obviously, it was in this start where he gave up five walks. He is giving up a lot of hard contact, too, I noticed on the StatCast page. But again, it's only three starts. I kind of think he's just in his head right now. Maybe some... Maybe it's like a mental thing from last year with the sticky stuff. I don't know. But either way, he has not looked good. Um, I guess the next question is, would either of you be looking to buy Garrett Cole? We got this email from Tim, and he said he was offered these two trades in a nine-team Roto League. Uh, He receives Garrett Cole and Eloy Jimenez for his Zach Wheeler and Tyler O'Neill. The other trade is he receives Garrett Cole and Lourdes Gurriel for his Zach Wheeler and Giancarlo Stanton. Would you guys take either of those trades? I like the first one more. Okay. But I, I think either one would be worth doing. Yep, yep. I agree. Cole's right. the best. And that'd be true in a 12 team league. Trades. Yeah. All right, so if you can, yeah. I don't know that many people are going out and trying to sell Garrett Cole. Obviously, he was likely a first-round pick, but uh, if you can, it's something you should look to do right yeah, now. Yeah, those weren't, those weren't particularly low cost. I mean, we like them both for Cole, but I wouldn't say those are obvious sell-low trades either. So they're, they're, they're good, though. I'd take them. Yeah. All right, uh, Chris, let's go to you here. You're, oh my goodness gracious, or I guess you got to be bleeping me player of the day. So is that what he said? He said bleeping me? You got to be bleeping me. Okay, weird. Um, I mean, come on. I will go with Josiah <laughs> What Gray. did you expect him to say? Yeah, I, mean, I, I didn't know what he was saying. Okay. I, I, I had no idea what he was actually saying. You can't question Hawk Harrelson. Come on, Chris. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to go with Josiah Gray. Okay. who I thought looked pretty good. It's against the Diamondbacks, obviously. But um, yeah, what was it? Eight strikeouts, two walks, five and a third inning, gave up one earned run on a home run. Only three hard hit balls, which is a good thing for him because he does tend to get hit pretty hard. Uh, so I thought this was a very promising start from Josiah Gray. You'd like to see more than nine swinging strikes on 87 pitches. But all in all, this wasn't like the best day ever for, oh my goodness gracious, performances. Um, but 36% caught. No, no. What's the, what caught plus swinging CSW called strikes plus whiffs called strikes plus swinging strikes rate 36%. That's a very good mark for Josiah gray. Uh, so all in all, I thought this was a pretty good performance for him. It was kind of weird with his pitch selection. He usually throws both of his breaking balls into mm-hmm a decent amount, the curveball and the slider and, and pretty much ditched the slider in this start. I'd wondered if maybe that was the pitch giving him trouble with the home runs, but looking through the data, it doesn't seem like that was the case. Did the diamondbacks, they have a, they had a decent amount of left-handed hitters in the lineup today, didn't they? That yeah. Sounds accurate. Yeah. The top of the lineup, especially with Varsho, Marte, Peralta beer. Um, I would guess he throws his, his, Curveball more to lefties than he does to righties. Yeah, he does. So, you know, his slider last season was almost exclusively thrown against righties. His curveball was um, a much higher usage rate against lefties. So that might explain some of the difference there. Okay. Uh, Josiah Gray, 68% rostered. So he's up there. I think in general, amongst the most added starting pitchers recently, Gray is behind names like Andrew Heaney and Nestor Cortez and Kyle Wright and Merrill Kelly. But I think after that group, I'm kind of intrigued by Josiah Gray. Back-to-back starts of at least five innings with one earned run or less. And it looks like he will be in line for two starts next week. It's a very early look, but uh, it seems like it will be the Diamondbacks and the Giants for Josiah Gray. So, uh, yeah, I I think he is uh, worth looking into as an ad. I like Nestor Cortez, but it wouldn't be surprising at all if Josiah Gray was better than him. You know, we were pretty excited about Josiah Gray, you know, for pretty long stretches last season. Obviously his overall numbers ended up being pretty bad, but 
Yeah. Um, there's a lot to like about him in terms of the uh, the swing and miss stuff, especially with the two breaking balls. I, I'm not trying to dismiss that, but I don't I don't think he's on at the level where I'm adding him like I am Nestor Cortez. And, and sure. the one stat I want to mention is I noticed the overall launch angle was low, lower against Josiah Gray this year, but the ground ball rate specifically is almost exactly what it was last year, only about mm-hmm. 30%. Which is which means uh, he's given up the kind of contact that could lead to a lot of damage. Still, yeah. All right, Scott. Who is your player of the day from Tuesday? I am going to go with Josh Stalmont, and I am feeling relieved. I guess more than anything in those fifteen-team industry roto leagues, I bid big on Josh Stalmont as a guy who doesn't invest much in saves in the draft. Thinking that save we saw from him over the weekend would hopefully at least lead to a timeshare with Scott Barlow and maybe was an indication that Mike Bethini actually prefers Stamont as the closer over Barlow. And I think we got even a stronger indication of that here on Tuesday because once again, Barlow set up for Stamont. Stamont converted the save again. Uh, so that's back-to-back for him with the Royals. But in that previous outing where Barlow set up for Stamont, Barlow was facing the heart of the lineup. And in this one, he was facing the bottom of the lineup. Stalmont actually had the tougher matchups and was still called on to, to, to get the save. And, you know, he got a chance to close. He, he looked like he was close to inheriting the job last year before Barlow eventually did. Apparently, Stalmont had a bout with COVID that uh, kind of affected his endurance, made it so they couldn't count on him to pitch as regularly as you would need a closer to. And this year he's you know, hitting 100 miles per hour with regularity, so he he might just be the guy over Barlow. I'm I'm not saying I'm ready to drop Barlow in in those deep rotisserie leagues, those 15 teamers where anybody who's in line for saves is you know getting huge bids on the waiver wire. Uh, but if if the choice was between Barlow or Stalmont and, and anything shallower than that, then I think you got to lean Stalmont at this point. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I, I was getting that question. Uh, on Tuesday night, Scott Barlow is 86% rostered on CBS. Josh Stalmont just 18%. So if you're just looking for saves, that is a move that you can make uh, in 12-team leagues. Dropping Scott Barlow for Stalmont. I mean, even in deeper leagues, I, I would make that swap too, but I'd probably try to hold on to both uh, if I can. There was a lot of uh, bullpen happenings on uh, Tuesday Wanted to bring up the Red Sox situation as well. Hansel Robles recorded five outs between the seventh and eighth innings in a tie game. He was perfect with two strikeouts. Jake Diekman recorded the final out of the eighth. And then Garrett Whitlock came on in the ninth inning and converted his first save of the season. Chris, I'll go to you uh, for this one. Garrett Whitlock, 47% rostered. He's kind of, his role has been kind of all over the place this year. I thought he made the most sense as the team's closer coming into the season just because... Frankly, he's been the most reliable reliever for them over the past season, basically. Uh, but would you look to add Garrett Whitlock with the idea that he will continue getting saves for this team? I, I think that's a good way to put it. He will continue to get saves for this team, but I don't think he's going to be the closer. I just think he's too valuable in that multi-inning role out, out of the bullpen, and they they like him in that role. Um, obviously, they value him quite highly given the extension that they gave him. And I, I would be surprised if they just went to using him in a one inning typical closer role. So I think he's going to get, you know, his share of saves, but I I would be surprised if he got, you know, even more than 50% of them would probably be pretty surprising just because there are going to be situations where, you know, the, the starter can't make it out of the fifth and it's a close game or something like that. And they want him to go two or three innings. There will be situations where they want him to use him in the seventh and eighth. So I think they're going to remain flexible with him would be my guess. Scott, we mentioned the possibility of dropping Barlow. Uh, He's 86% rostered. How about someone like Matt Barnes? He's still 71% rostered on CBS. Jake McGee was pitched. He pitched in the seventh inning in game one of the Giants doubleheader. He's still 73% rostered. Are these names that you could drop? Jake McGee, Matt Barnes, along with Barlow for the Josh Stallmonts or even Garrett Whitlocks of the world? Yes. I think in standard size leagues, in traditional saves leagues, not saves plus holds, Barlow, again, is the one I'd be most hesitant to drop because it's not crystal clear that 
it's even a 50-50 or, or that he doesn't have a 50-50 split there with Stalmont. But the others, I like I I the only time we've seen McGee used anything like a closer was when Camilo Duvall obviously needed a day off. And uh yeah, I I I don't think either of them is is showing signs of being in line for enough safes to hold on to. All right, yeah, I agree. Uh, in 12-team leagues, I, I would drop Jake McGee, Matt Barnes, look to pick up Josh Stalmont, uh, Tanner Rainey, he was very shaky on Tuesday, but he did pick up a, another save. It was his third of the season. He's just 47% rostered. Anthony Bender, we keep talking about, he's 43% rostered. So those yeah. names are, again, all under 50%. Bender, Tanner Rainey, Josh Stalmont, I'd be all right adding any of those, dropping McGee, uh, Matt Barnes, and I, maybe Scott Barlow. I, I still think in a traditional league that rewards saves like normal, Hansel Robles is the guy to have in the Red Sox bullpen over Whitlock. I, I, I think there's, I think him and Deekman and Whitlock will all be in line for saves at times, but Robles will most often, provided he doesn't implode, which is always a risk. And I think he's the least talented of the three, but I just think he's best positioned for saves because he throws right-handed and has closing experience and isn't needed for multi inning, multiple innings, usually like Whitlock is. What What's his nickname? Hansel Robles? Chris, do you know it? I think it's El Caballo Blanco. Is that it? The White Horse? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I was just thinking of Hansel, Hansel from Zoolander. <laughs> hey, that Hansel, he's Robles. So hot right now. He's pretty he's hot so right, hot now. right now. He yeah. was pretty hot story, on Tuesday. Hansel. He uh, recorded five outs, two strikeouts against Vlad Guerrero Jr. and uh, Lourdes Gurriel. He looked uh, pretty good. Let's get back into the worryometer. I mentioned Garrett Cole. There are a few other pitchers I want to talk about here up top. Kind of weird to lump Robbie Ray in this mix because, frankly, he was all right. He pitched a quality start, six innings, two runs, four strikeouts. However, the fastball velocity was still down compared to last year. 92.7 miles per hour is what Robbie Ray averaged in this start, which is up from his previous start when he was pitching through a monsoon. But that's still down two miles per hour from where he was last year. Chris, uh, the results have mostly been okay for Robbie Ray. Uh, what's your worryometer level based on this velo? I, I would still say more like a four than anything else i can't say i'm not at all worried about the velocity being down but the fact that it was up in this start is a good sign you know maybe he can work his way back up to the 94 mile per hour average uh, velocity that he had last season with his fastball but i'm not counting on that certainly um and if i can't count on that then i have to be a, at least a little bit concerned because i think the fastball velocity was a big part of why he was able to be so effective last season it allowed him to throw his fastball in the zone without as much fear about getting hit hard. And that allowed him to both, you know, get more strikeouts, but also avoid walks, which was key. And so, yeah, I, I'm not, not concerned, but I, it was good to see him dial it up a little bit in this start. Scott, I see you with the grin on the face. I don't know what's going on here. Oh, I don't know either. I was reacting to something. I can't remember <laughs> what. No, uh, Robbie Ray. I'm, I'm about, I, I probably put myself as a five. Just got a one-up Chris there on the worryometer with Robbie Ray. He hasn't, like, this is a guy who's consistent, even in his bad years, 11K per nine. You know, he hasn't had a mm -hmm. single start yet with even a strikeout per inning. And, yeah, part, it might be partly the velocity, but, you know, last year the velocity went up from where we were used to seeing it, and he, he still used to get all those strikeouts. So, yeah. I guess I'm glad that, he didn't walk a ton of guys in this start against the mm -hmm. Rangers because that was looking like an issue in his first two turns. When I say it's a five, I'm not selling Robbie Ray for 75 cents on the dollar. I'm, I'm not really doing that with any early round pick at this point, but you know, two or three more turns of this and I'll probably be there. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Jesus Lazardo. He took a big step back in his second start here against the St. Louis Cardinals. He allowed five runs. Four of those were earned over four and a third innings pitch. He gave up seven hits. And what I noticed, couldn't really throw the fastball on the curve uh, for strikes in this one. He gave up a lot of hard contact. I know there was some questionable defense behind him, which um, led to a longer inning and everything kind of snowballed after that. Someone pointed out to me that St. Louis has been really good against lefties so far. This season, they are first in weighted on base average against left-handed pitching. Uh, Scott, worryometer for 
Jesus Lazardo after the second start. Yeah. Um, hmm. How should we approach this? Yeah. How do you calibrate it? All right. Because it's like the level of investment in Lazardo isn't nearly the same as Robbie Ray. So that would naturally cause me to be less concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think, uh, I guess I'll say, I guess I'll say four. It's, he looked great in spring. He was amazing in his first start. But he's not a proven asset. I, I like that the velocity was still up. I like that he, the curveball was his most thrown pitch. He's, he's leaning on the secondaries more than he did last year. And I think that's a formula for success for him. But is he to the point where he's ready to consistently deliver starts where, like we saw in that first one? Or is he going to be kind of up and down this year? Definitely worth rostering but going to be kind of frustrating at times. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I mean, I even great pitchers have bad starts on occasion, and mm-hmm. that may have been all this is. But uh, with without the track record for Jesus Lazardo, I think I'm inclined to you know, to maybe maybe dial back the enthusiasm just a little bit. He's still in my top 40 starting pitchers, but can't necessarily count on him as an up-and-coming ace yet. All right. I wouldn't mind seeing him throw his change up more. We saw more of that in this start than in the first one. Um, and that was something that we said in the first start. I think he only threw two or three in that first start. And it's like, well, when you're, you know, curveball's working, when you have a 90% whiff rate or whatever it was on the curveball last week, uh, you don't really need the other secondary. So wouldn't mind him throwing the change up more. And, and honestly, the thing with Luzardo is even when he's throwing 96, 97, 98, like he is right now, you know, the, the fastball doesn't necessarily seem to be a, a an elite pitch. It's a relatively low spin pitch. So even, you know, throwing it harder is going to help in some regards. But I think fewer fla- fastballs is probably better for Hazel Cesardo. And the changeup has been a very good pitch for him in the past as well. So, um, you know, that's that's something I'll be keeping an eye on. Let's move over to Tyler McGill. He came back to down to earth in his, this was his third start uh, against the San Francisco Giants. Six innings, four runs, four strikeouts. The velocity on the fastball was down 1.6 miles per hour compared to his season's average. Uh, So he was basically where he was at last year with the fastball when he, of course, had a 4.52 ERA. Uh, Chris, the worryometer for Tyler McGill based on this velocity. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the interest level in, in uh, Tyler McGill was based on the velocity being up. So if the velocity is not back up, it gets harder to be excited about him. But I will say, you know, we talked about it last time he, he pitched. Part of what, you know, you were interested in him coming into the season, Frank, and part of what I like about him is he was pretty good last season, even without throwing 97, 98, 99 miles an hour. You know, he was... Um, his ERA was like four five, so it wasn't great. But his xERA was like three seven, and so I do think he's someone who can be pretty decent, you know, a, a pretty useful pitcher, even if it's just at the level he was last season. And if he can, you know, sustain the velocity that we saw in the first two starts and get back to that after today, um, you know, then I think there's there's room for growth beyond that, as we saw in his first two starts. So, I, you know, I, I'm. I'm not too worried about the velocity being down in this start. I, I think he deserves a mulligan because the Giants and Mets played a doubleheader. So McGill's velocity was down one and a half to two miles per hour. The same was true of the two pitchers who went in the second game, Max Scherzer and Logan Webb. So makes Alex Cobb look even more impressive. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I mean, when three of the four starting pitchers and, and two of them more established than Tyler McGill experience the same drop in velocity and if the temperature is in the 40s, you know, I, I think that's understandable. All right. We are holding both of those guys, right? Lizardo and Tyler Absolutely, McGill? Absolutely, yeah. Yep. Okay. Last one here. Framber Valdez. He had a rough outing at home against the Angels. Four and a third, nine hits, six runs, four walks, and... That was against an Angels lineup that was without Mike Trout, and uh, he gave up some hard hits and the walks. I mean, the walks have been an issue for Framber Valdez. Outside of the shortened 2020, he averaged 2.1 walks per nine that shortened season. Last year, that was 3.9 walks per nine, and this year, the you know through three starts, the walks have been an issue as well. Uh, Scott, your worryometer level on Framber Valdez? Uh, I, I feel like this just comes with the territory. I don't, 
yeah, he goes through stretches where he walks a bunch of guys, and but we've we've seen enough. We, we've seen him recover from that enough over the past couple of years that I'm not particularly alarmed. So I will say three. I do think this this kind of highlights some of the like the the difference between like command and control thing. Like he is a lot like Dallas Keuchel in that he's going to live outside of the strike zone. That's just kind of the kind of pitcher he is that that explains why he gets so many ground balls. He's able to induce uh, swings on, on pitches outside of the strike zone that lead to weak contact. But, you know, I think he probably doesn't have quite the command that Dallas Keuchel does to, you know, paint in that same way. So when it's not working quite as well for him, things can get a little uglier, but I don't really think that's a reason to be concerned. I, I, Framber Valdez feels pretty proven at this point. Um, you know, it's yep. it's more a question of like the the walks getting to like four point four per nine is where it gets harder for him to be really really good. But I think he'll still be useful. Yeah, and one of his biggest assets is volume, being able to go deep into his starts. And if he's walking that many batters, it makes it a little bit tougher. You know, he can wiggle yeah, out of point he can wiggle out of trouble because he gets a lot of ground balls, so those can turn into double plays. But you know, you're kind of living life on the edge there if you're he'll relying get out on of that. It is yeah. the thing. Like you just have to understand you're going. There are going to be some rough stretches with him, and and that's why he wasn't a top thirty starting pitcher. He was more like a top fifty starting pitcher. Yep. Uh, a trio of hitters I wanted to quickly mention here. See if you guys are concerned at all. Boba Shett went 0 for 4 on Tuesday's betting 204 on the young season. Mookie Betts, I will grab an update, but the last that I saw, he was 0 for 2. He's betting 179 on the year. Uh, let's see, he is 0 for 3, so that is down to 175. Uh, Cattell Marte, 0 for 8 across his doubleheader. He's now batting 171. Scott, any concerns? Any, I guess, serious concerns. Boba Shett, Mookie Betts, Cattell Marte. Uh, no, I bet that's like the default answer for any hitter. Like I, I know we got, uh, somebody got mad on Twitter and was saying we need to talk about hitters more, but it's, it's like, there's, it's too just, early. Yeah. And I know, I know that sounds like a cop out and we have to still put on an hour show. Not that we've had any trouble filling the time, <laughs> but, um, it's just like, it's These just, it's happen. just reckless. Like it's, that's undisciplined analysis to, for uh, for proven assets like these to yeah. to read into the numbers after a couple weeks time, it's, yeah. it's just it's basically meaningless at this point what they've done. I think you could make a case with like Mookie Betts because he dealt with that hip injury last season and didn't have surgery on it this offseason. That like okay maybe his struggles so far are a result of that and he's not hitting the ball particularly hard and his strikeout rate is up and pretty much everything looks bad for Mookie Betts right now. But it's also like. This kind of, the, the thing to keep in mind with all of these discussions is like this kind of stretch will happen for every single player. Like, I don't know, maybe not Juan Soto. Juan Soto probably will not have a stretch where he like has a 86 mile per hour average exit velocity for 12 games and hits 160. Like he's too good for that. But basically everyone else will have a stretch where they just don't look good, where it's not just the ball's not falling in, but that they're just not hitting the ball well. And the thing is, when it comes at the start of the season, you do have to figure out whether it's just one of those stretches or if something changed between the end of last season and the start of this season for a guy like Mookie Betts. And maybe that has happened, but it's too early to say. Like, this is one of the things when we have this like underlying data that, and all this you know, average exit velocity and we can look at the hard hit rate and how hard every single batted ball he had was. And all of that's great, and that gives us more information than we used to have, but it still doesn't change the fundamental facts that like weird things happen in two weeks of baseball. And sometimes really good players have two bad weeks. And, and even if you want to talk about the hip for bets, and I, I know you were just presenting a theory that you don't necessarily believe yourself, but... I mean, we saw him play through the hip injury last year. He didn't return first-round value, but he was still good. He, he wasn't this even, bad. Yeah. So, yeah, it, uh, yeah. Well, he wasn't bad at all. He just didn't return first round yeah. value. Relative to the other two, I, I wrote about these three guys and seven other slow starting hitters. Um, did kind of a worryometer thing in a column today. Sorry for stealing your bit, Frank, um, and also Adam <laughs> before you. It's not mine. <laughs> um, but 
Yeah, like nobody had even like I had Brendan Rodgers and Luke Voigt and among the 10 hitters, nobody had higher than a five on the worryometer, which is a completely arbitrary scale that we all understand. Mookie Betts was higher than Cattell Marte and Bo Bichette, but I, I can't say I'm actually worried. It's mostly just like the what if the hip is an issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but other than that, like Bo Bichette and, and Cattell Marte, especially like there's there's no physical issue to be concerned about there. So I think it's probably just like good hitters having bad weeks. Yeah. And overall, I agree with you guys. It's, you know, we're getting a lot of questions about these players. And again, you know, people listening, they, they want to know if there's anything underlying that stands out so far. But that's why we've been looking at pitchers so much early on. There's just more actionable information with yeah. pitchers looking at, you know, velocity and pitch mix changes. And those are things that you can act on now before other people start to pick up on them. So that's why we've been predominantly uh, pitcher heavy. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into a few other uh, young hitters early on, like J-Rod, Julio Rodriguez, and Joe Adele later on. But, uh, you know, those are, I think, there could be more concerns, obviously, because those are just younger players in general. Let's take a quick break, and when we return, we will get to news and notes here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, so news and notes. Fernando Tatis simulated fielding ground balls and made throws on the infield Monday. He'll be eligible to return in early June. That doesn't mean that he'll be back in early June. I don't know if you guys watch Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN, but they there was a clip of him playing soccer in the outfield before the game, and he fell... He like tripped over the ball and he landed on his wrist. <laughs> Guys, I mean, you know, this is a this is maybe the most prized asset in baseball right now. You think we can uh, get him off the soccer field for now and just make sure that he's all right and put this guy in bubble wrap for a little bit? So <sighs> let's see. <laughs> Please keep Fernando Tatis healthy and safe. Mike Trout uh, has now missed two straight games with that left hand injury. Ronald Acuna went one for three with a double in his first rehab game. Jose Altuve was out of the lineup Tuesday and will not play Wednesday either with that hamstring injury. He took an MRI. They said that they were cautiously optimistic or that they were surprised by how it went, but there's no actual results yet for that. Byron Buxton remained out of the lineup with that knee injury on Tuesday. Both Jonathan India and Mike Moustakis were placed on the IL for the Reds. India was retroactive to April 16th, so in theory, he could be back by early next week. Lucas Giolito could be activated to start Sunday against the Minnesota Twins. Salvador Perez was at DH Tuesday due to an eye issue, and he's dealt with that same <laughs> issue each of the past two seasons. Clearly has not affected his production. It feels like every time there is a report about this eye issue, he goes out and hits a home run. And then he did you one better. He hit two home runs on Tuesday. So uh-huh. a double dong and Salvador Perez is now up to four home runs. So I think the eyes are just fine. Luis Castillo is on track to begin a rehab assignment this Sunday. He's on the IL with right shoulder soreness. Alex Cobb left Tuesday start with a right groin injury and was later placed on the IL. This is unfortunate because he's that's frustrating. Pitched so well, the velocity is up as you mentioned, Chris. So, you know, I think we just wait. Obviously, no one's looking to to drop Alex Cobb, so just hold on to him. It's unfortunate. Yeah, Wanda, don't drop him. No, do not do that. Wander Franco was back in the lineup Tuesday, and good thing that he was. He went three for five, hit his first home run of the season. Tyler Stevenson left Tuesday's game after a collision with Luke Voigt at home plate. That is, that is quite the collision. I don't, mm. I don't know if you've seen Tyler Stevenson. He is a massive human being, as yeah, is those Luke are big Voigt. Dudes. Those, are, those are some big boys. Voigt. Yeah, uh, he slimmed down a little bit, but he's still big. Oh, yeah. 
country strong, I think it's how he's been described. Gavin Lux was scratched due to back tightness on Tuesday. Bunch of Tiger pitcher news. Michael Pineda's first start is likely for Thursday against the Yankees. Matt Manning is unlikely to make his next start on Saturday because of right shoulder discomfort. Casey Mize is considered day-to-day but remains without an official timetable uh, to begin a throwing program. He's on the IL with a medial elbow sprain. Aaron Ashby is not scheduled to start this week for the Brewers. A.J. Pollock should return from the IL on Friday. Christian Vasquez was placed on the COVID IL. Greg Holland designated for assignment by the Rangers. Scott, do we have any indication who the Rangers closer might be? I My guess would be Joe Barlow. I mean, he hasn't pitched well, but n- n- there there is there's no alternative, really. So, yeah, that would be my guess. Like, Greg Holland might have been the best alternative, and now he's gone. There you go. Waskari uh, Noah was optioned to AAA after his rough start Monday. Tuki Toussaint was recalled, but won't enter the rotation. I read that the Braves are likely to go back to a five-man rotation. Um, but, Scott, would you add Spencer Strider in case he gets a chance to start? I, I know you like him quite a bit. I do. Yeah, I mean, that could be coming. It, it just depends what kind of roster space you have to work with. It's it's not a bad idea if you have a spot to play with, but particularly this time of year, I doubt many people listening do. Yeah, I would rather stash Ronzi Contreras, but more on him in just a little bit. Kyle Freeland signed a five-year, $64.5 million contract with the Rockies, and a prospect note. Cardinals prospect Nolan Gorman has homered in five straight games in the minors. He now has seven home runs over his last seven games. Chris, I think O'Neill Cruz is a very obvious stash candidate among prospect hitters right now. Uh, but Nolan Gorman, 28% rostered. Would you look to stash him as well? Yeah, I mean, I guess the question is, do, do they have an obvious hole in the lineup? I don't really think so, because he's a second and third baseman, right, Scott? Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, they, they did talk this, there was some talk this spring that they're fine making Tommy Edmond a super utility player. Once Gorman's ready, yeah, I don't know that he's necessarily ready. I mean, he's he's striking out at a high rate. He 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 got his strikeout rate down quite a bit at AAA last year, uh, but you know, a lot of home runs. It's a lot of home runs, and he's 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 repeating AAA. He's twenty one year olds rarely had to repeat a level before, so he could come quickly. Mm-hmm. And maybe Tommy Edmond hears some of those whispers because. He has been awesome so far this season. Um, I think he already has three home runs and hit a triple. He does. A triple on I don't think uh, he's stolen bases, though. So weird, right? <laughs> Tommy Edmund, the, pet, the slugger. Yeah, exactly what we were hoping for. Uh, some lineup notes. Each of Trent Grisham and C.J. Abrams sat the past two games going up against left-handed pitching. Uh, Zach Collins has started four straight for the Toronto Blue Jays, and he hit a home run on Tuesday. So if you need a second catcher, in the short term, Zach Collins has been playing um, and has benefited from Teoscar Hernandez landing on the aisle. Jeremy Pena led off with no Jose Altuve in the lineup and uh, going up against a left-handed pitcher. He went one for three, hit his second home run of the season. The early returns on Jeremy Pena have uh, been very good thus far. Scott, what do we do with these young hitters? Spencer Torkelson, I'm getting a lot of questions about right now. He went 0 for 4 with two more strikeouts. On Tuesday, he is batting at 207. Spencer Torkelson is he's someone that you would try your best to hold on to right now. Yeah, I mean he's he's impacting the ball well. He's drawing a lot of walks. I I I don't see much reason to be discouraged. I mean, obviously you'd like for him to hit the ground running and 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 remove all doubt. And he hasn't removed all doubt, but there's reasons to be encouraged too. And and remember last year, uh, it was it was his first full year as a professional. Terrible in spring training, got off to a terrible start in the minors. Everybody's wondering what's going on with Spencer Torkelson, and obviously he catches fire and and never looks back. So that that could happen at the major league level too. I have no interest in dropping Torkelson at all. All right. Bobby Witt, obviously we're not dropping Bobby Witt. He went 0 for 4 with a strikeout. He's batting 139. Chris, would you maybe bench Bobby Witt for now? Well, he's learning on the fly, I guess. I don't think that's a terrible idea. Um, how many steals does he have? I think he's only got one steal. So yeah, one, yeah, I would say, I mean, this was 
I was definitely a little bit concerned about the possibility of him being a little overmatched in terms of the strikeouts because there were contact issues in the minors and he was so good at hit, you know he was hitting the ball so well it didn't matter um and I think in the long run that'll probably end up being the case for him here but yeah I would say you could certainly sit him until he shows signs that he's figuring it out shortstop's a pretty deep position Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott, we recently spoke about the Mariners youngsters, Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelnick. Uh, Rodriguez went one for three with two steals on Tuesday. He's running. When he gets on base, he's got the green light. He's now up to four steals on the season. However, he has a 43.6% strikeout rate. Again, we're not dropping any of these guys, but with a strikeout rate like that, maybe we look to bench Julio Rodriguez in a points league for now? Yeah. I, I don't know that I would say for sure that I that you can't drop him in a three outfielder points league. I mean, obviously, he could come surging back with huge numbers and and make you regret it. But it's it's always tricky in those points leagues. How many bench spots can you devote to a hitter? And I, I think there's also a scenario which he just gets optioned back to the minors. Particularly, Kyle Lewis is getting close to returning, right? Now, last time we talked about Julio Rodriguez, a couple Mariners fans hit me up on Twitter to say, oh, the umpires are squeezing him. There have been a lot of called third strikes. Maybe. I, I don't know if that's continued to be the case in the days since then. Uh, but that only... That justification only carries the reality of the situation so far. Yeah, he still has... He has had- 11 called strikes, called strikeouts, which leads baseball. That um, seems like yeah, a lot. That's a lot. 11 and 16. Four hitters have more. may have been six. legitimate strikes for what it's Yeah, worth. no, I mean, I've seen the, the graphics going around, and, and there does seem to be some something to the uh, to the idea that he's getting squeezed a little bit on some of those. Like if you call up the, the chart, you know, I see one two, three, four, five that were definitely outside of the strike zone. And a lot of pretty much all of them were right on the edge of the zone or, you know, only one was completely inside of the strike zone. So, you know, I I think there's something to that, but that is also potentially a knock against him or at least something that he would have to work on because that's an adjustment that you have to make. If that's happening to you, you know, you, you have to be more aggressive in those situations. And that's not to say that like it's a hitter's fault that he's getting called up, you know, on strikes outside of the strike zone. Um, but it is to say that like, you know, you in a two strike count, you have to protect the plate too. Mm-hmm. And so if that's not something he's doing well right now, you know, that's yeah. that can obviously happen. I, I don't I think it's probably somewhere in the middle in terms of like blaming him versus bad luck. But he's also swinging and missing a lot. You know, it's not like he's just getting a lot of called strikes against him. He's got an 18.2% swing and strike rate. You know, that, that's one of the higher rates in baseball. His uh, out of contact or his contact rate right now is 64%. That's pretty low. So he's it's not just bad luck. Yeah, I was going to bring up that swinging strike rate. That's pretty massive so far for uh, Julio Rodriguez. 18.2%. That is tied for eighth highest among qualified hitters thus far he he does lead baseball in sprint speed right now yeah i mean he's a he's a freak i remember the video when they told him he was going to make the team and scott service was adamant he said don't change how you play no matter what don't change how you play be aggressive so uh if nothing else that's exactly what julio rodriguez has done for better or worse bryson stott uh is another one here he's still 44 percent rostered and not playing every day he sat against a lefty on tuesday uh, Scott, can we drop Bryson Stott universally or should we hold him in deeper leagues? I'd hold him in deeper leagues. There's a chance the playing time improves. But 12 teams or less, a guy with questionable power profile who's not playing every day, I would say, you know, if you're looking to make room for somebody, Stott's somebody you can drop. Mm-hmm. The last one here I wanted to mention, Joe Adele, who... Went three for five on Tuesday. He's been in the lineup with Mike Trout uh, dealing with injury. They were going up against a lefty, so he probably would have been in there anyway. Uh, the, the two outs that he made on Tuesday were both strikeouts. So we're still looking at a 47.5% strikeout rate for Joe Adele. However, Chris, the 
Underlying StatCast metrics entering Tuesday, 99th percentile in barrel rate, 99th percentile in sprint speed for Joe Adele. He is still 75% rostered. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say in probably like a 12-team points league where you only start three outfielders, he's probably droppable. But other than that, I, I, I want to hang on to him if I can because, yeah, he's hitting the ball really hard. Um, you know, like even with a 49% strikeout rate, he has a 355 expected Woba right now. That goes to tell you, like 355 is well above average. That goes to tell you, that when he's putting the ball, the bat on the ball, really good things are happening. 29.4% barrel rate. Um, that's one of the best in baseball. So, yeah, we're seeing signs of the elite skill set. And um, I think he's got two doubles that were hit at almost 395 plus feet too. So, um, yeah, I I want to hang on to him if I can. The strikeout rate obviously is a big concern and, you know, there's a chance that he doesn't, he just doesn't play every day until he figures that out. But I want to give him some benefit of the doubt there. All right, let's move over to waiver wire hitters. Should we add these can hitters? I, Go ahead, Scott. Can we just do real quick, like contextualize most droppable or least, let's say least droppable to most droppable among those young hitters? Sure. I would go Bobby Witt, Spencer Torkelson, Julio Rodriguez, Joe Adele, and Bryson Stott. And there's virtually zero chance I'm dropping the top two on that list, Witt and Torkelson, and close to that for Julio Rodriguez as well. Okay. Where would you put Kalanick? You didn't mention him. I didn't mention him because we didn't really talk about him. But yeah, yeah he, he, he had a home run today, 110 mile an hour uh, exit velocity. So I, I'd some put promising between, signs there. I, I'd put him between Rodriguez and Adele. That's yeah, I think that's fair. About right. Yeah, he showed signs like the max EV. I think he hit a 114 exit velocity mm-hmm. home run last week. That was the hardest hit by a left-handed batter at the time. So hardest hit home run by a left-handed batter. Yeah. So the skills are there thus far, but you look at his batted ball profile. Lots of infield fly balls. Lots of fly balls in general. So kind of seems like he's just trying a little bit too hard. Again, that's Jared Kelnick. Um, we'll see. Uh, this recent stretch has has. Looks pretty good for Jared Kelnick. Should we add these hitters anywhere? Let's start with Tommy Pham. He went one for three with his second home run of the season. That's now uh, back-to-back games with the home run. He's 33% rostered. Uh, Chris, what leagues would you look to add Tommy Pham, if anywhere? I think you could consider adding him in a 12-team, five-outfielder league, but he's not a must-add. So I think his ownership rate is probably about right. Yeah, I think five outfielder leagues, that makes sense. The Reds have only played two home games thus far, so uh, I do think, you know, once they get into Cincinnati, that will obviously help Tommy Pham and hopefully the rest of their lineup because it's uh, been pretty bad for the Reds thus far. Tyro Estrada, we haven't talked about him at all. He's been pretty good for the San Francisco Giants. Went two for five with a run scored in game one of their doubleheader, and he's played every game this season for the Giants. He's got two homers. He's got one steal. Last season, he had an 813 OPS Again, this is Tyro Estrada. Scott, he's 20% rostered. Uh, would you look to add him anywhere? I don't think so. I'm 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 confused as to why he's playing so much because it's not like this is some Tommy Lastella's on the IL. Yeah, is 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 but I mean Wilmer Flores could play some second base. It's it's not like he's the only like especially considering it's the Giants and they play with nobody every day <laughs> right so why is Tyro Estrada the exception to that it seems strange to me because I don't think he I don't think there are skills to get excited about here really even though he is off to a good start uh, it'd have to be it'd have to be a pretty deep league for me to invest in him all right, Chris, you get Hunter Dozier. He went one for three with his second home run of the season on Tuesday. He has not walked a single time this season, but he is striking out way less. 16.7% K rate last year. That was 28%, and he's barreling up the ball pretty well so far. Uh, Hunter Dozier, 31% rostered, looking to add him anywhere, Chris. Yeah, his quality of contract met- metrics are pretty good. They look a lot like 2019 uh, when he was... Uh, a pretty good fantasy option, so I don't want to write him off entirely. Um, you said 16% rostered? 31% rostered. 31%. Yeah, that probably sounds about right because you know, I, I think I would rather have Tommy Pham just for the stolen base potential, Hunter Dozier. Not yeah. going to steal many, if any, bases, and so 
you know, I'm, I'm not, not looking to add him in anything shallower than a 12 team five outfielder league, but, um, you know, uh, it's it's not out of the question that he can be pretty useful there. I, I have a lot more hope for Fam than Dozier, and I, I kind of disagree with you on Fam him being thirty three percent rostered. I, I think it should be at least double that. He got off to a one for twenty six start, but homered in back to back games, and and the metrics look great. He's still fast. He still walks a lot. He still doesn't strike out much. He's impacting the ball hard. And he plays his home games at Cincinnati now, and he's playing every day. So I, I think there's a chance Fam could have a. I, I give Fam a better chance of a bounce back season than Dozier, and I think the upside is higher anyway. All right, let's move over to a pair of first basemen. I guess if you play in a roto league with corner infielders, that's probably where you're looking at these names. Uh, Scott, do you have any interest in Rowdy Telez, who went one for three with his second home run? It was 114 miles per hour off the bat uh, in for that home run on Tuesday. Eric Hosmer, I know we talked about him, Scott, but he, he keeps hitting two for three. He's batting 400. He's 30% rostered. According to Fangraphs, he has a 41% line drive rate, Eric Hosmer does. Uh, do you have any interest in Telez or Hosmer as corner infielders? Not a lot. Uh, Tel- Telez's skill set is interesting, but he has he almost never plays against left-handers, and that, that leaves a lot of... That, that keeps him from getting the at-bats he needs to be a mixed league contributor, I think. And, and Hosmer, I mean, it's, he's hot right now. It's going to end though. He's going to end. He's not even that hot. Like this is, you know, there's, there's the, like, there's hot in like the, this guy is crushing the ball and he's actually hot. Like he's locked in or whatever phrase you want to use. Hosmer's just punching singles. Like he's hitting 400 with a 954 OPS. That is wild. Uh, he does not have a barreled ball yet so far this season. Uh, his hard hit rate's forty eight percent, which is actually pretty good. They're just his, largely his, his on the barrel ground. rate is zero percent. Is that what you're? Yeah, zero percent barrel rate on twenty seven batted balls. Um, Gosh. So yeah, there's nothing there. Like it's Eric Hosmer. I, I like um, that's not. It's not fair to say there's nothing there. Eric Hosmer has been a decent hitter in the past. At times, a pretty good one, but. There's no reason to think that Eric Hosmer is anything but what he's been the last few seasons, which is a fringy fantasy option. All right, that'll do it for Eric Hosmer. Uh, Isaiah Kiner, Isaiah Kiner Falefa went two for three with a walk and his first two steals of the season. All it took was me benching him in my most important <laughs> league. So great, good job, Frank. Thirty-three percent rostered is IKF. Chris, uh, would you are you interested in adding him? I guess anywhere where you need a middle infielder. Yeah, anywhere where you need a middle infielder and, and steals, that's about it, though. He's not going to provide much else, but, you know, 15-plus steals has value. Aaron Hicks. I brought up the name recently. One for two with two walks, two runs scored, and his first steal of the season on Tuesday. I guess uh, Tucker Barnhart, they just saw something there. Anthony Rizzo stole a base in that game, too, so they were just running all over him. Um, Aaron Hicks has now let off three games in a row for the Yankees. He is 17% rostered. Scott, even if you don't like the player... 17% rostered for whoever's leading off of the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that number should be higher. Well, I really liked him going into last year, and I've liked him in the past. What Was he coming off Tommy John surgery last? Like, was that his first year back last year? Uh, he's trying just, to remember. He's dealt with so many with injuries. They're all just kind of blended together in my mind. <laughs> last he year was, it was a, a wrist injury, but he was such a I disaster. think he had Tommy John surgery in 2019. Okay. Like he was mm. such a disaster that I, it was easy to write him off, even though the Yankees clearly weren't. But he's back to being, at least so far, this elite on base guy, which is what he's been for most of his career, who contributes some power and some speed, not a ton of either, but enough. Uh, he's looking pretty interesting so far. I'm, I would still prefer to pick up Tommy Pham over Hicks, but. I'm not going to dismiss this so quickly. I mean, he has the track record to uh, to deserve that. All right, the last name I wanted to mention here, Stephen Duggar. He now has four steals on the season, so whenever he gets on base, he is running. He doesn't play against lefties. He's only 2% rostered. Chris, this is more of a deep league ad. Uh, I just pulled up his StatCast page. He's averaging 96 miles per hour on the exit velocity. Um, any interest in Stephen Duggar? It, it it would be really hard to have interest in him outside of the stolen bases. And 
you know, he's got four in 10 games, which is really awesome, but he had seven in 107 games last season, and that was without getting caught stealing. So I, I have a hard time believing there's much to it. Um, you know, I haven't looked up the play logs, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was a situation where he had like a double steal or, or something like that, or a, you know, kind of catcher didn't make a throw on one. And just that's what I feel like happens when you see guys like this get relatively big steals totals in a small sample size. There's probably something fishy there. All right. There is one pitcher I wanted to mention as an ad and Ronzi Contreras, another strong relief outing at the Brewers. Three innings, one hit, one run, five strikeouts to zero walks. That is back-to-back three-inning relief appearances for Ronzi Contreras. He's getting ground balls. He has an overpowering fastball. The spin rate on the curveball looks great. Uh, spin rate on everything is ridiculous for this yeah. guy. Yeah, Scott, I mean, the question I keep getting is... Will he start? We don't really know the answer to that. It seems like they're stretching him out right now. Yeah, at some point he will. At some point he will. You're breaking up, Scotty. All right, let's throw it to Chris. Chris, uh, if you have any thoughts on Ronzi Contreras, he's 18% rostered right now. I tweeted out on Tuesday night that I think if you have a spot open to stash a player, I would definitely be looking to do so with Ronzi Contreras. Yeah, it depends on like that if you have a spot open to to stash a player, like if you've just got a ton of guys on the IL and you've put them all on there, I think that's reasonable. But, you know, would you would you be looking to stash him in a 15-team NFC league where you don't have IL spots? That's that's harder to justify. But if you, you know, if you've got a league where you're stashing some prospects already, then yeah, stash a guy who's already in the majors. Yeah, I actually am stashing him in one of those NFBC leagues, Chris. My 15-team uh, main event, there's no IL spots. It's, it's kind of hard to do, but I think the upside might be worth it for Ronzi Contreras. Uh, Scott, what were you saying about him? Yeah, I, I love the upside, and he is going to start at some point. I, I think it's more likely he starts at some point than than maybe even Spencer Strider, but it's like a trio of re- guys who are in relief roles right now, but just by virtue of them throwing three-plus innings, as often as they do, you you expect that transition to happen sooner than later. It's Contreras, it's Strider, it's well, Aaron Ashby, I guess, has made a couple starts now, but uh, doesn't have a secure rotation spot yet. And I would say, in an ideal world, I'd like I'd I'd be willing to stash any of them. Of course, most of us have to make tough decisions, and and it probably means not stashing them right now. But I'd like to, in theory. Mm-hmm. Let's quickly hit on some pitcher standouts from Tuesday. Adam Wainwright, nice bounce back, five and two-thirds, one run with six strikeouts. Corbin Burns was awesome against the Brewers, seven innings, two runs, 10 strikeouts to zero walks. Joe Musgrove going up against the Reds, six and a third, two runs allowed, seven strikeouts. Max Freed at the Dodgers needed to get back on track. He did exactly that. Seven shutout, only allowed two hits, eight strikeouts to zero walks. And then Max Scherzer was fantastic as well. Seven innings, one hit, one run, 10 strikeouts. And Even with the velocity down, because it was 40-something degrees. Yeah. Oh, gosh. By the way, I mean, Chris, how are you enjoying winter still here in the middle of April? It's been terrible here in New York. But yeah, It was anyway. a rainy, cold softball game on Monday night. That wasn't great. Not great. But was the pitcher throwing as hard? Uh, velocity was down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes the sense. Bobs were a little lobbier. Yeah. yeah what's his, see it. was his name? Robbie Ray. Yeah, it was, it was a uh, tw- 27 miles per hour instead of 33. It was, it was pretty alarming. <sighs> Darn. Uh, anyway, Scott, <laughs> anything to add on Wainwright, Corbin Burns, Musgrove, Freed, Scherzer? No, no. I just traded for Corbin Burns. Oh, geez. I mean, <laughs> I was gonna, uh, look, there's not much time left anyway, but let's, Let's just talk about this quickly. What is going on with these trades in the For the People League? So Scott acquired Corbin Burns, Anthony Santander, and Alex Kirilov for Chris Bryant and Jesus Lozardo. That happened on Tuesday afternoon before the Jesus Lozardo trade. The other day, Scott got Shane Bieber in exchange for Nestor Cortez and O'Neill Cruz. I get it. Scott's a cool guy. We all want to trade with Scott, but... Before I mean, that, before that, I got Julio uh, Arias in the same league for for Max Muncy. I think yeah. we just got we got one guy in this league who's very very antsy. Well, he's not I the think. only one I've traded with. He didn't. He wasn't responsible for the Bieber trade. No, no, but he's made three trades now. 
or four trades. Well, he's made three trades just with me. Yeah, uh, but not the beeper <laughs> trade. Yeah, I don't know. Like they're just, I have I, like they just offered to me. Yeah, I don't blame you, Scott. I mean, like, you know, if people offered okay. me those trades, I would probably take them too. Yeah. But well, the it's, it's to the point because this is a sixteen-team categories league, and so it's to the point. I've I've, I've now given up Muncie and Bryant, two of my f- first three hitters drafted, and so it like. I, I I hesitated with this Burns trade because it's like I still need hitters. Like pitching is only half the equation. And look, the guy has a great lineup now because he keeps taking all my hitters. So I don't know. Like it's it's the sort of trade where like I, I felt obligated to take it because Corbin Burns is Corbin Burns, and like you don't pass up a chance to get Corbin Burns. But at the same time, I wonder if without me making another trade now to improve my lineup, if it actually improves my chances of winning. Mm -hmm. My sole purpose in this league now will be to beat Scott White. So that, I mean, it's not your fault, Scott. You're just, you're just hitting accept. But as a result of everyone helping you out, my purpose in this league will be to take you down. So I'll see if I can make that happen. Uh, Let's anything else here. Some hitting standouts. Uh, Starling Marte and Lindor. I wanted to mention they each picked up their third steal of the season. The Mets are second in baseball in steals so far. Buck Walter is letting these guys run, so that's been fun to see. CJ Crone hit his league-leading sixth home run of the season. Signs of life from he Kyle. Has more home runs than the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> that Although accurate. actually, like there are like four guys who have more home runs than the Baltimore Orioles because they have four home runs right now. Yikes! Uh, some signs of life from Kyle Schwarber in Coors Field. You'll love to see it. He went two for four with his third home run of the season that came off of a lefty. Manny Machado is on fire. He hit his third home run as well. Uh, any other bullpen stuff? Aroldis Chapman, the fastball velocity, he converted the save. He looked fine. It was a clean inning, uh, but the fastball velocity remains down. It was very cold in Detroit, so I got to keep watching that with Aroldis Chapman. Um, anything else? Daniel Bard picked up his fifth save of the season. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Let's go to to stream or not to stream for Tuesday. Nope, not Tuesday. Wednesday, Matt, uh, Mitch Keller at the Brewers. Merrill Kelly at the Nationals. Eric Fetty versus the Diamondbacks. Drew Rasmussen at the Cubs. Chris Paddock at the Royals. Jordan Lyles at the Oakland A's. And opposing him is Dalton Jeffries going up against the Orioles. You know, Merrill Kelly kind of, but not really, right? Yeah, like, he's, he's not a streamer. He just needs to be added in all formats. He's over 70%. Uh, but if you're counting him as a streamer, then yes, Merrill Kelly, big fat streaming. Yes, and he'll <laughs> probably not have a good start. Um, no, he will. Keller, what? No, he will. Mer- Merrill Kelly's awesome. He's going to be good. I, I'm, I'm optimistic, but you know, you can't look three good starts in a row. Has anybody had three good starts in a row this season? I'll tell you someone who hasn't. His name is Garrett Cole. That's asking a lot. Uh, Not everybody's Mitch Keller, had three I would prefer. <laughs> What's that? Not everybody's had three starts yet. Sure. Jesus Lazardo couldn't even manage two good starts in a row. There you go. What a bum. Um, um, Mitch Keller, I'd prefer to avoid. Drew Rasmussen, I think, is probably second on this list, actually. Yeah. Uh, I kind of like... I'm trying to figure out who I like more between Lyles and Jeffries. I kind of like both. But man, the or- the Orioles are bad. I don't know. I probably don't no. want to play any of them. Anyway, no, no, hey. no, don't. You don't. You don't want to put your name on <laughs> recommending Jordan Lyles or Dalton Jeffries. You are you don't right. Want to do that. Merrill Kelly and Drew Rasmussen. That's who we're going with on Wednesday. <laughs> you don't How want about- to see your name on that Dalton Jeffries screen. <laughs> For Thursday, we've got Paul Blackburn versus the Orioles. Tyler Wells at the Oakland A's. Zach Davies at the Nationals. Josh Rogers versus the Diamondbacks. Taylor Hearn at the Mariners. I'm yeah. kind of interested in Paul Blackburn. Same. Like I, I like him more than uh, Dalton Jeffers against the Orioles. So I, I would say he's probably the most interesting of this group. I agree. I still wonder with uh, we keep stressing roster space being in demand this time of year, who is in a position to sacrifice a roster spot for one start from one of these guys, you know, that's fair. It it just seems like who, like, who are we talking to? I did pick up Paul Blackburn in two 15 team leagues this week. So 
Scott, there you go. You'd be surprised, man. A lot of our <laughs> listener audience, it, they play in head-to-head categories, daily lineup leagues, and they are looking for streamers. They keep yeah, a lot of people just I, keep I they keep one roster spot available just for streaming yeah. options throughout the week. So, okay, yeah, all right. Nope, wouldn't be me, but. <laughs> Well, Paul Blackburn, if you need one for Thursday. Uh, Dalton Jeffries, by the way, a 1.93 ERA through two starts. His expected ERA is 7.49. So that's higher. A lot higher. We're going to wrap there. For Sky and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.